You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. I don't know about you, but I'm personally much less interested in gardening fads that are here today and gone tomorrow, and I'm much more interested in horticultural trends that are here to stay. Karen Smith is the editor for this week's sponsor, Hort Journal Australia, and she's also my mentor. Earlier this year, we sat down and had a chat about horticultural trends that are changing the way the industry is operating, which is something she's been keeping her eye on for years. Welcome back, Karen. Thanks for having me back. So this episode, we're talking about ways that the industry is changing. The first thing that comes to my mind is that we're probably starting to get a little bit more ecologically aware. Can you speak on the move away from chemical pesticides? Well, a little bit. I'm certainly not an expert, but I I think it's been a gradual move away. Mm. Thinking back to Rachel Carson's book, The Silent Spring, and I think you know, I don't know, was that in the 60s? You know, she wrote a book about one one spring not hearing any insects or birds because of the uh, mm. the high use of chemicals. So, and having worked for a company myself that produced chemicals, it's very easy, I suppose, to just reach for what you know. But that same company also, from the time that I was working there, and I know that they still do it, slowly started to get into more organic products. And it's interesting, we recently had a case in America where a company was sued because of the use of a chemical and and the fellow having cancer. Now, whether, you know, it's right or wrong, it does highlight the fact that, you know, people need to be more ecological aware. Mm. So, there's certainly a graduated move and I think that's a very, very good thing. I remember working in a company and a man rang in one day and said, I don't know why you ever got rid of DDT. And I said, oh, well, you know, like it's a known carcinogenic. And he said, well, you know, we used to get sprayed during the war for lice. And mm. I said, uh, got any of your friends still alive? He said, no. Yeah. Well, that might be why, you know. So... You know, people just accepted that and it was more about having perfect looking fruit and vegetables or flowers or what have you. But, uh, of course, now we're also more aware of the soil as well, which, you know, we can probably lead into that. But certainly I think it can only be a good thing if we're, you know, getting more into the uh, natural Mm. uh, treatments and integrated pest management. Exactly. We've got an episode on IPM. I would urge our listeners to go and check that one out. There's just better ways to be doing things. And step one, as far as I can see, is right plant selection. If we're putting weak plants in the wrong spot, we don't have a hope. Yeah. Yes. And it's a funny thing, you know, because people forget that sometimes we're growing something that naturally grew on the other side of the world. And whilst it might have a similar (laughs) environment and some plants certainly, you know, are fabulous and do really well, but you know, when you're growing something that normally grows in the tropics and you're trying to grow it in your garden that gets uh, a bit of frost every now and then, you know, like you haven't got a hope in hell. And of course, a weakened plant, sometimes, you know, the plant may still grow, may not, mm. not to that extreme from the tropics to the frost, but mm. sometimes plants may grow, but they don't thrive. 
you know. So they're more inclined to be attacked by pests and diseases, which has you reaching for the chemicals. So you reach for the chemicals, you knock out everything, not just the pest bugs, but you knock out everything, all the beneficials, and then your plant's even weaker. So good luck next year. Oh, look, sometimes I do get my dander up when I'm looking at all my bromeliads and my little talansias and they're covered in spider webs. And I think, oh, God, look at the mess they've made with the webbing yeah. and stuff. But then I think, <laughs> oh, you know, it's a sign of a healthy garden. And, and look, it would be most unusual for me to spray much at all in my garden because I've mm. always had the opinion if it needs spraying, I don't want it. Yeah. You know, so it just means I've got to brush my little talansias and get the spider webs out. Move them to another place. <laughs> we had Joe Timar on the show recently, uh, a friend of mine on Twitter who goes by Tanuki's Revenge, and he was saying, look, I'm running a garden, not a nursery, not a hospital, sorry. So, yeah, if anyone's <laughs> too sick to participate, we want everyone pulling their own weight. <laughs> oh, how funny. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> well, it's true. You know, it's you're far better off to use – your garden's going to look a lot nicer if you're using things that are going to cope with the environment and thrive because they'll always look healthy and lush, you know. I mean, we all get tempted with things. I couldn't tell you how many times I used to buy when I worked in a nursery, I used to buy a lot of the Western Australian banks ears and, oh, you know, the boss would say to me, what are you buying that for, Karen? I'd say, because I just love it. And I say, if (laughs) they don't work, why do you stock them? He goes, because people want them. And I went, yeah, well, I'm one of those people. And... (laughs) You know, if I can just get it to the flowering stage, I'll be happy. But, you know, quite often I was yeah. unsuccessful. But Well, that's the thing too. You might think that your plant's doing great, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> There's something there underneath the surface is just not quite right. Yeah. Looks fine. It's not great. And we're lucky today because we've got a lot of grafted Western Australian plants. So they're grafted onto rootstock that copes with our humidity and stuff here on the eastern. I'm in Sydney, so... You know, we do get a bit of humidity. But, yeah, and keeping your soil nice and healthy and certainly that's a good way to, you know, using your organic fertilisers. You know, I think I said in the last episode that when I would be speaking with a client, I would say, please give me time to prepare the soil, Mm. get get it nice and, you know, friable with lots of organic matter in it so that when I put my plants in, they're going to thrive. Because it's not a good, not good for my reputation if my plants don't thrive. So, and that's my philosophy at home. If whatever I'm putting new into my garden, I always put a handful of blood and bone, or you know, pelletized chook poo, or something like that, so that they've got a good start in in life. And yeah, I think if you if you keep a, it's like yourself. You know, if you eat well, you stay healthy. Generally speaking. And plants are no different. They're a living thing. So if you feed them and nurture them, they, uh, they'll they thrive. So none of us like being sprayed with chemicals. No. None of us like having our friends killed either because um, plants make no. friends with all sorts of critters. Yeah, exactly. Even though I'm right in the middle of suburbia in Sydney, all the critters come to my house because I'm one of the few houses left in the street with lots of trees and plants. So, you know, yeah. I get possums and skinks and lizards and stuff you know lots of wattle birds dive bombing in my pool and you know i've got lots of birds yeah so that's a key term as well like wildlife corridors industry talks about that now too yeah yeah it's a little bit tricky in the cities but 
And and I know in my own street, all the street trees, there's very few left because people take them out and the council doesn't want to replace them because people complain, you know. I know. They're not complaining about the heat, though. I know. My house out the front, I've got a, I've got a tree <laughs> who parks outside my house, everybody but me. That compact your soil, too, if they're parking on the soil. Oh, well, they're mm. parking on the street, but the tree leans over. So on a hot day, it's best to park your car under the yeah. tree, you know. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because, yeah, we can cater to people who complain, but then somebody else is going to complain after we do. So mm. maybe just take your finger off the trigger just a little bit. Yeah. Don't remove the trees just because somebody's complaining about them because they're going to turn around and complain about something else next week. Yeah. I know. It's it's a challenge. To, mm. It doesn't stop people coming past and admiring my garden and occasionally pilfering something, but... I figured, well, I don't put anything out there that I'm not prepared to lose because I don't have a front fence. And I think, you know, I just, you know, get a bit miffed when people pull something out right from the centre. Like I had a lovely big a corner area that had some lovely ground cover succulents and they pulled right out from the middle. If they came and asked me, I'd just say, sure. Gardeners love sharing their plants, you know. Of course. But anyway, I, I won't go down the whingy, whiny path. No. Look, there's it's a funny topic, isn't it? Because like if someone's walking past and there's a little seed pod, is it bad for them to just pluck off the seed pod and take it home? Like is that really that bad no. if it's one seed pod? Yeah, just take them from the side or from the back, you know. Yeah. I'm not urging people to do that, but <laughs> I've often knocked on people's doors and said, You've got a beautiful plant out there I'd love a cutting of and I'm more than happy to give you cuttings from my house. They go, sure. Oh, not a problem yeah you know so sometimes you just see something you know you think oh that's nice wouldn't mind a bit of that but i wouldn't just go and yank it out of their garden no especially not if you're yanking out of the middle and you're actually affecting the aesthetic yeah. of that garden yeah. i would have thought yeah completely out of line mm. we touched on something briefly there before we talked about roots rootstock and sort of making plants that aren't usually available in an area available so I think this is really something that is happening in the horticultural industry. So we're looking for a much wider variety of plants compared to five or 10 years ago, do you think? Oh, definitely, because 10 years ago we were in the middle of a drought and, you know, the El Nino and um, we were never going to get water again. Our dams were down to Zippo. And so mm. people were really scared to buy plants. And then, of course, they brought water restrictions in and, I read somewhere after the fact that governments realised that was the wrong thing to do because the soil is becoming so parched and, you know, you need the trees to create the rain and, you know. So Mm -hmm. definitely I also think particularly in this last two years or last 18 months where people have gone back to nature, back to gardening, Mm -hmm. growing their own stock, buying up the toilet paper, they'll be growing trees to print their own <laughs> toilet paper. But yes. <laughs> but certainly um, I just know with my own local nursery, my own local garden centre, they're stocking a whole heap of things, even some of the rare things. A lot of nurseries now have what we call a little rare corner. Sometimes they're under lock and key. So there's definitely an interest. And, I mean, you see it on social media, particularly Instagrams, where people are – looking for different things and showing different things. Certainly the indoor plants have gone off like a packet of crackers, but it's also with 
garden plants generally. We, you know, I think, look, there were certainly some fabulous things that came out of the drought in that, in the design space. We learned how to clump grasses together or different types of grasses because they were coping with the, with the drought. But after a while, people, you know, they want to see a bit of colour and a bit of life. And it's not to say that you couldn't get some colour with, with the grasses, but, you know, we're mm. human and we love change. We love to see, you know, fashions come and go or trends come and go. And we, you know, we move with those trends. And uh, so, and, and you know, because I'm a bit involved with the plant propagators, you know, they're always looking to breed hardier plants that, you know, that are more compact to suit smaller backyards and but still provide colour. I mean, even with fruit trees now, you can get, you know, dwarf avocado, dwarf mangoes, dwarf citrus, you know, all sorts of plants that you can get to fit in with the smaller backyard or balcony gardening. So, you know, the uh, plant breeders have, you know, got a lot to be proud of because they've really... They've really catered to that demand really well, I think. You know, you can have a yeah. a lemon tree and a lime tree to make your cocktails and, the, you know, you're meant to do your cocktails and that on a balcony. And I think, you know, there's a few people that have written books on balcony garden and, you know, how, how much you can yep. get out of, you know, one small, tiny, one metre wide by four metre long balcony. So plant breeders have really listened to that and, and come up with some really fabulous plants. So, you know, hats off to them. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to imagine where the industry would be without these new plants constantly coming in and all these different options. Oh, definitely. Especially, um, you know, your independent garden centres, They, you know, they have a lot of variety and, and they tend to buy in to what suits their local area and that type of thing, you know, so... You're probably, you know, safe to know that you can go and plus they usually hire qualified people that can help them with their plant choices and their mm. designs and things. I know when I worked in a nursery, people would come in and, and I'd say, look, do a drawing of your yard with the aspect or take some photos and bring them in. Well, today they can do that on their phone. But, mm-hmm. you know, you'd be able to then walk around with them and say, yep, this is this, this. And, of course, the nursery offered consultations that you could go out on site with them and that type of thing. But, yeah, so there's... You know, you can really develop a nice relationship with your lo- local garden centre. It's lovely. Mm. Yeah, totally. Karen, we talked about this in the last episode. I don't want to touch on it too okay. much, but it's, again, relevant here with how the industry is changing. Uh, look, informal education. I've noticed that a lot of the industry, yeah, we're listening to podcasts. We're you know watching YouTube videos. We're reading books. Now, I've only been in the industry for nine years and... I've been doing my own thing, you know, I'm not all gardeners, but do you think that this is increasing the amount of people who are passionate and just seeking information informally? Oh, definitely. Definitely. You've only just got to look at the social media to see it and it's young people, which is just Mm. wonderful because the average age in horticulture is about 57. So if we've got all these young people decorating their apartments and trying to get their little bit of nature back in, you know, how good is that? I remember my mother's house back in the 70s was like a jungle. And then for some reason, indoor plants went right out of favour. People started buying fake plastic rubber, whatever. And um, But we know now 
about the benefits, the health benefits and the purification of the air by having plants and also the psychological and mental health benefits of being amongst nature. So Hmm. I think that will only encourage people to try and learn more online or online courses. I I think there's a huge opportunity there, actually. Hmm. Totally agree. And short courses. You know, people don't always want to change careers and, and spend another three or four years in education. They just want to do this as a as a hobby, self-interest thing. And, you know, sometimes I'll grow plants for friends for presents or sell at the markets or whatever. But, yeah, I, I think it's definitely on the increase. And educa- it's so easy to become educated today. I wish all this was available when I was studying, you know. Yeah, I'll bet. Oh, yeah. We've got these micro moments. Maybe we're on the train going to work or, you know, maybe we're on the toilet or something like that. Just keep the Hort journal there next to your toilet or take it on the train and just have a have a read through, you know. <laughs> exactly, you know, like, and it's a funny thing that you mentioned about the Hort journal because, you know, we did a survey about online, an online version or a hard copy. And, like, I think it was about 80% of people said we love the hard copy. We love to be yeah. pick it up, throw it in our bag or throw it on the lunchroom table at work and everyone reads it, you know. And just recently I was met with someone from the Botanic Gardens and he said, I just can't wait to get my copy of the magazine every month. I just love the fact mm. that it comes in a hard copy and I could just, you know, take my morning tea outside and sit on a chair and have a read for 10 minutes, you know. And, uh, and the fact that they're all small articles, he can do that, you know. Exactly. And there aren't that many really good horticultural mag. I'm not going to ask you for no, there's many not. because obviously. I can that- tell you for a fact yeah. there is not. There's Home Gardener magazines, but there's no trade magazine, not no mm-hmm. trade magazines other than maybe if you're part of the nursery and garden industry, they have their small online magazines, mostly online. Some of them have a printed version, but it's more industry based. It's not necessarily going to tell people how to grow their plants or anything about pests or diseases it's more about what's happening in industry so but no there's there's really not sadly you know would be nice to have some stiff competition because competition makes you raise the bar a bit you know not saying that our bar is not already raised but (laughs) you know competition's a good thing you know that's why we have so many beautiful plants you know because everyone's looking to get the next on-trend plant or breed the next on-trend plant so yeah, not to talk about evolutionary competition too. I mean, that is literally the reason why we have such diversity. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Such a good metaphor. Yeah, definitely. So, Karen, do you reckon more women are coming into the industry these days? Yes, I do. When I my first job in the industry, I was one of two women that worked there. One was part owner, and the other one was the lady that did the pays. But all the other horts were male. Mm. So, yeah, I, you know, I was the only paid employee, female paid employee. The other one, as I said, was a part owner. Her and her husband owned mm. the business. But, yeah, so I, I can see that. And I was speaking with someone. I was at an Institute of Horticulture function a couple of weeks ago, and I was speaking to a fellow who has a garden maintenance business, and he said, of my four staff, three of them are women. He said, I said, oh. That's fantastic," he said. Oh, he said, "I just love having them." He said, "They're so good; they always turn up." Mm. 
They have such an eye for detail. They're really good with the clients. They, you know, speak nicely to the clients. Not to say that men don't do that either, but he just, the three women that he had of his four staff, he said were fantastic. So, and I've got to say, I've worked some with some lovely women in horticulture as well. So, you know, I've had a few good mentors and that sort of thing as well. So, you know, there's always sort of been women in the industry, but there's definitely more of them now, especially young women. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And if there are any women listening who are thinking about getting into horticulture, stop thinking about it and just jump in. Just do yeah, it. Have a go. Definitely. You've got no idea how many people have said to me, oh, I'd love to do horticulture. I go, well, why don't you? You know, I studied as a mature age student. Yeah. I had three little kids, you know, and uh, they'd come home from school with their homework and I'd come home with mine and we'd all do our assignments and yeah. projects and <laughs> and what have you and help me with my bug collection and plant pressings and everything. So, yeah, it was great, you know. I, I've... I've thoroughly enjoyed working in horticulture. I'd advise any women to go into it. I think it's uh, it's great. And a lot of women go into uh, landscape design as well. And I've got one friend. She's a horticulturist, an arborist, a consulting arborist, and a landscape designer as well. So, she, you know, she's just kept re-educating, re-educating, re-educating and building on her skills and you know, she's fabulous, swings out of the trees, cutting down trees and all sorts of things. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, and look, I've noticed that I've, you know, because I've been doing some work in schools recently, talking about career paths, it's interesting how, like, I had a group of boys one day and two of them just didn't want to get their hands dirty. And, <laughs> well, what are you? They're not made out for this I don't job. I think this is for you, Yeah. Oh, and, and turned up, you know, all white clothes and white shoes. And I thought, oh, gee, you know, I think you have to be a certain sort of person to like getting dirty, but, you know, it's good, clean, healthy work. And and one of the things that I try to say to them is that you're working in an industry that gives back to the environment. It should do anyway, you know, if you're doing things the right way. But certainly it's an industry that that has more benefits than most industries I can think of, you know, for, for environmental benefit. Yeah, totally. It's got more environmental benefits than accounting. Yeah. All these other industries that great industries to be in, that's yeah. fine. But yeah, in terms of, yeah, the impact you can make on the environment yeah. with little training, like you can get into this industry pretty quickly because a lot of it's pretty unregulated. Yeah. You're not going to be a climbing arborist tomorrow, but you can get out there with a push mower and you know, if you get a job with a push mower, you can actually make environmental changes just by saying things like, hey, boss, do you mind if I don't use the catcher on this job? I'm going to put the mulch plug in. We're going to do it much quicker. And um, we're also going to be putting carbon down into the soil, yeah. which has a number of ecological benefits. Yeah. Well, even the changes in the types of fertilizers you use on a lawn these days is completely different, yeah. you know. So um, they're all, uh, you know, people are, and younger people as well, and this, this is why it's so important that we get younger people coming into the industry because they are more aware of the environment and, you know, global warming and everything. So we need you young people. Come on. Man or woman, young man, young woman, whatever colour you are, sexuality, nobody cares. Just come. If you can do the job, we want you. That's exactly right. So we're speaking about soil there. I just wanted to take that soil thing a little bit further. So in the agricultural industry, they've had a bad rap in the past about 
erosion, things like that. But that part of the industry is really making a lot of steps in terms of the soil. Can you speak on some of the ways that farmers are looking after soil these days? Is that something that you talk about or? Um, A little bit. I mean, I'm certainly not a soil scientist, but uh, we had a fabulous contributing writer that wrote a lot about regenerative agriculture. In fact, if anybody wants to look that up, it was uh, a two-part series last year, 2020, in the March and April issue, which you could see online. But certainly, I mean, you see it on Landline, shows like Landline Australia as well, that uh, a lot of the farmers say, well, you know, we know we can't continue on the way that we've been doing this for years. You know, this is what we've learnt, you know, along the way through the generations, but we know we've got to make some changes. And uh, so soil fertility is is a huge thing and we know that it's going to make a, a difference to the, you know, the stability of the soil and the runoff and, you know, using uh, appropriate things that hold moisture in the soil rather than just, you know, a dead soil, keep throwing fertiliser on the top, you know. And uh, plus, you know, Australia naturally had soft animals with soft padded feet. They didn't have hooves, you know, so all the uh, introduction of, of cattle and stuff makes a difference to the soil. So you know, they know now that they might need to move cattle around different paddocks and work the soil and, and just the way they're maintaining the soil generally is is really important and there's certainly been a lot of lot of changes in that field in a big way. That's another subject on its own, but even just using organic fertilisers, you know, like you can make your own small difference just by doing that. Like if I'm doing a cloth in gardening, I would say start with the soil, start with your organic fertilisers or soil improvements to ameliorate the soil because whilst they may not have as high MPK ratio, nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium, what it does to improve your soil and improve the microorganisms and the beneficial bacteria and everything is going to help your plants grow. Whereas, you know, you can save those other types of fertilisers perhaps for your potted plants. I mean, I've got to say I use man-made fertilisers on some of my potted orchids or my indoor plants because I'm not going to put, you know, cow manure on my indoor plants. So, you know, there is still a place for those things, but certainly when it comes to the the soil, you know, start there and uh, you don't tend to need to use all those chemicals and stuff because you've got more healthy plants. And so, yeah, that's certainly a a huge area, a big topic, actually. It is a huge topic. And I would tell our listeners to go and check out episode 29, Sustainability and Regeneration in Aussie Agriculture, because Michael Guerin from Ag Force in Queensland basically just sort of talked about a lot of this stuff. And he was talking about crop rotations. He's talking about, yeah, um, yeah lots of good stuff. We're talking about leaving stubble in, no dig, stuff like that. So, yeah, it's all good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, you know, leaving, leaving, you know, don't strip everything out. Yeah. You know, leaving weeds and things like that in there as well. There was a really good show on the TV once called, I think it was called, and he wrote a book, Back from the Brink, and it was all about yeah. exactly Back that. Back from it's the a, Brink. A good was that read. from the UK? That was from the UK, wasn't it? No, no, it was Australia. Peter Andrews, the guy's name was. And, yeah, all, all his neighbours thought he was nutters. 
but um, when you saw from the from the sky an aerial view of his property was green and all the other properties around him, like I'm talking big properties, were brown dust, you know. So he's done that through soil carbon and stuff like that, just looking after the soil. Yeah, and just, yeah, and, you know, totally changed his his practices and, you know, keeping the weeds, even even the willow trees and that, that were beside the rivers and stuff that they say is a wee well, you know, kept all that. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's definitely a an interesting topic, and I think I'd I'd rather leave it to the experts and me yeah. say because it's I'd hate to, you know, not do it justice. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Look, this episode is about speaking about ways that the industry is changing. I, I mean, we're not going to mm. be teaching people everything about that particular topic, but no. definitely go out there and learn about it because it's good stuff. Oh, I'll say, yeah. Yes, it's a huge learning curve. And, look, people are embracing it. If As I said, I've watched some of those shows on the TV and 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 a lot of the farmers are saying, we want to change, just tell us how, you know. So, well, it's, it's in their interest too and especially for their future generations, you know. People don't want to stay in the industry because they've watched, you know, their parents, you know, go under or lose all their crop because of the drought and stuff but, you know, if we don't change our ways, nothing changes. And people are going to stay, like, we're never going to not want food. People are always going to want to eat yeah. food. Yeah, exactly. So let's move back into urban, a lot of urban people yeah. uh, gardening. Look, petrol has dominated forever, but we're starting to see battery, lithium iron uh, equipment coming back into, or coming into vogue for the first time. I know for me, just in the last two, three years, it's actually become viable. I, I've seen a lot of people out there actually using this electric, uh, not electric equipment, because electric equipment is powered by a cord. I don't recommend that. That's that's usually not great no. stuff. But yeah, there's some great battery powered equipment out there now. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I have a neighbor that has the loudest mm. leaf blower and whippersnipper I've ever heard in my entire life. In fact, if he's using it, I can't hear anything in my house. It's that bad. (laughs) I hope he doesn't listen to this. But, you know, these battery ones are fabulous. You know, they're they're a lot quieter. And, you know, I mean, you would know because you've done garden maintenance, people do get upset when you're making a lot of noise. Recently, I was up in Queensland and it was a beachside, you know, strip of shops and cafes and stuff. And there was a bloke out there. Well, one was hosing all these paths down which you know <laughs> I can remember seeing that same bloke do that during the drought and I nearly had a heart attack but this time I was up there and you know another guy and it's real quiet because I'm an early bird and you know it was really quiet and I went got up thought I'll go down and get a coffee there's a guy out there with a blower and I thought surely all the people in the hotel around here would be beside themselves with that noise and birds don't like it either you scare birds away. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's right. So, I, I mean, I have a lot of, you know, I've got the battery-operated equipment that you just switch the batteries over and I've you know, got blowers and whippersnippers and, you know, hedging shears and clippers and stuff and you just keep using the same, uh, the same batteries and swapping them around, you know, have a few different batteries going. So I think it's definitely the way to go. 
do you do you use them in your job? Uh, I've always used petrol, but recently I've started using some of the still battery powered stuff, and it is great. The only one that yeah. some of the crews that I was working with didn't like was the brush cutter, and I think that that's because they like to feel the brush cutter still running even when they're not, the finger's not on the trigger. But the thing about battery powered stuff is it's either on or off; it's not idling. So you put your finger on the trigger and it turns on. You take your finger off the trigger and it turns off. Whereas a petrol yeah. engine is still going to go chug, 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 chug. But I love it. I think it's great. The steel stuff was awesome. Which yeah. brand do you use, by the way? I've got Ryobi. Yep. But I mean that wouldn't. That's for my home garden because I yeah. don't. I don't do it as a you know a business anymore. But and for me, it's nice and light. It's you know yeah. it's easy to, you know, for me to use it and yeah. I really like it, but actually, um, someone someone did an article last month for me on tools, and he talked about the difference it's made in his business because he's often doing work indoors as well, like on green walls and stuff. So, you know, it it's made a big difference to his job and you know how he's received by customers and clients and stuff. So, yeah, it can only be a good thing, I think. Yeah, totally. Because whether or not it actually is more green than petrol, it certainly has that perception. Oh, well, yeah, it doesn't stink for a start. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I I think it's definitely the way of the future. And they're becoming more powerful, aren't they? Oh, they were so – oh, you should have seen this blower. It was like a jetpack. It was a backpack. One of them was a backpack blower. One of them isn't. But, yeah, they're so, like, way more powerful than what you think if you haven't been using lithium-ion in the last few years. Try it again. It's better now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't tend to do a lot of it these days because I, I don't have a real lot of work to do in my garden. I've kind of made it so that it's, <laughs> you know, low maintenance. Like, I, I really don't have to use much much at all, you know. And I've got a fairly extensive garden, except for, for pruning, you know. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of some of the things that, oh, I know, remember what um, this guy said in the article as well. Because a lot of people are working from home as well, and, you know, he said if you're working on an apartment block and there's six or 700 residents and they're all in there working and you've got this lousy, noisy, petrol-operated thing, you know, you you could be drawn and quartered. So, and, you know, the lithium ion's got, you know, good power and good runtime and and that type of thing so yeah yeah put it on your business cards and stuff we only use battery powered equipment so it's quiet it's a great selling point yeah yeah very smart yeah plus you know more sustainable as you say you know and everyone's concerned about that these days you know it's a greener strategy and you know we should all be going down that path and as technology is just getting going from strength to strength, you know, it's continually changing. They'll just get better and better all the time. And plus you don't have the costs of oil and fuel and carrying that in your vehicle. Or the risk because you know. it's dangerous stuff, that. Yeah. You know, you've got someone yeah. smoking a cigarette next to you while you're fueling up. You know, it happens. Yeah. Like it, accidents happen. It's not often that you hear about fuel, yeah. a fuel can burning, but I'm sure it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the July issue of Hort Journal's got an article exactly on that topic. Oh, really? Yeah, so it'll be landing on people's doorsteps any day. Good stuff. So that's on battery-powered equipment or is that on petrol blowing up? (laughs) 
It's on gardening tools becoming greener. Cool. That sounds like a plants grow here topic. Gee, we are on the same page with so many things, Karen. <laughs> it's written by Michael Casey. He's the president of the Institute of Horticulture. So he runs a few businesses. So yeah, he said, what do you want me to write about? I went, tools. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, becoming, becoming greener and yeah. I think oh, you probably don't want me to be- mention brands. He does mention a couple of brands in there. We like mentioning brands in a positive light. If it's a brand in a negative light, we'll usually block it out. Oh, well, this is positive. He, you know, he just recommended, you know, was talking about, you know, the bigger companies that are bringing out all this new fabulous equipment like Husqvarna and yeah. Makita. I'm trying to get Husky onto the show. So I hope that our listeners will be able to listen to an episode with me chatting to someone from Husqvarna soon about their self-driving mowers, which are really cool. Oh, yes. Battery power. Still was the other brand he talked about, Still. Yep. Tried the Still battery stuff. It is awesome. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's great. I mean, to me, a battery-operated piece of equipment is so much better because I don't want to be putting petrol in things and then trying to start it as well. You know, they get yeah. clogged up and yeah. So anyway, I think it's a great, it's a great move to the future. Totally. So I've got a few more questions here and they're going, we're kind of going to bounce around a little bit. The first one is COVID. I think everybody can agree that the world has started to focus more on gardening as a whole ever since we've been locked yeah. down in our house. What, what do you think about that? Definitely. That's why uh, the uh, I think it was $2.2 billion of plant sales last year and a survey that they did through the Green Life Industries industry said that they spoke to a lot of people who had actually bought plants for the first time in their life because they were wanting to connect with nature. They were also wanting to grow their own food because they didn't know what was around the corner and what if they couldn't get food. And then they discovered that they liked it. So, you know, they enjoy growing their own and that it's not as hard as they think. And I think that's where getting good information is important because if people have a go and things, they get the wrong advice or they grow seeds and it's the wrong time of the year to sow the seeds or wrong time of the year to take cuttings, then they go away disheartened and they they say, oh, you know, I don't have a green thumb. I kill everything, you know. And And I think it's a bit sad because really they just want some good information. You know, get yourself a really good garden guide, you know, a good good book. You know, there's lots of really good published books on organic gardening, gardening and permaculture or balcony gardening. And, you know, have a go and ask people, ask for help because it is such a valuable thing. It's a valuable hobby. In many ways, because we know that there's scientific evidence about the mel, is it the not melatonin? Melatonin's in your skin. The happy ho- oh, ah, yeah, serotonin. No, that, serotonin. That's yeah. it. Your serotonin levels increase when you're working with the soil. And I even read something somewhere that said they tested people from different communities where the soil was completely different and some was good and some was bad and the people that had the good soil were really happy and the other people Uh. were all depressed (laughs) because you know we know that you feel good like I I could spend all day on a computer or say I work for eight or nine hours and I'm on a computer all day I am 
absolutely exhausted at the end of the day. But if I spent eight or nine hours in my garden, sure, my back might be like a, you know, an old creaky wheel or something, but I feel good. I feel like I've achieved something and I feel really positive and upbeat. Physically, I might be tired, but I, but mentally, I feel really stimulated. So there's got to be something in that. I mean, it's like when yeah. you go for a walk and go for a bushwalk. You feel really good. It smells good. It sounds good. It looks good. You know, all that all that gives you a positive, feel good feeling. So we know the studies have shown that that working in your garden can have the same the same effect on you. So why wouldn't you want to do it? So yeah, get some serotonin in your brain. Get some melatonin on your skin from all that sunlight you're in. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> so many people are vitamin D deficient, and oh, I think, God, yeah. I wouldn't, I couldn't possibly imagine <laughs> that because I'm outside so much, you know. Yeah. And but of course, people cover up. They, you know, they mm. skin, you know, block out stuff on and skin suntan cream, you know, UV cream and long sleeves and hats. So you do have to take you roll your sleeves up and get a little bit of sun on you, even if it's just for ten minutes. Mm. So yeah, totally. yeah, I think just want to just interject there and say, we don't want to get sued if anyone gets cancer guys, you have to take <laughs> your sun risks are up to you. We're not going to be held responsible for anyone who gets cancer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I only said 10 minutes. I didn't say you stay. <laughs> yeah. Don't stay out there and get sunburnt. Not allowed to get sunburnt, but look, that's why I, I can remember years ago, I did this judging for councils, community gardens. And I remember going to this place in Sydney and it had high-rise public housing and and it was a fairly large area. And anyway, they'd, they'd entered their garden for an award. And I've got to tell you, the people were of every nationality you can imagine and some of them, you know, some spoke English, some didn't, they, but they all communicated in a way that that made them feel good. And, you know... I spoke to a lot of them and they said, oh, I'd be, if it wasn't for the garden, I'd be just sitting in my apartment all day. I've got no family or I've got no job. I, you know, I can't work. I've got a disability or, or whatever. But they could go down there and they all have a kettle and a cup of tea and a biscuit or something or share in the produce. And what it did for those people, you can't put a dollar value on. And I've seen that in community gardens over and over again. So, you know, people who suffer depression and stuff or they've got no contacts and you think it's an opportunity for them to get together and spend some time and, I mean, you know, you need to do a, an interview with some people I could put you on to from Therapeutic Landscapes. The work that these people are doing with people with disabilities of all sorts and even people without disabilities is just amazing, absolutely amazing. And that can only be a good thing. Why wouldn't you want to work in this industry? It's a magical place, the garden. It's a magical healing yeah. place. And it's funny how, um, yeah, how many great conversations I've had just in gardens. Just makes you feel yeah. good. And yeah, people just feel good in gardens. Yeah. Well, that's right. And I kind of make it a bit of a thing of mine that everywhere I go, I try and go to the botanic garden in the area. Mm. And gee, I've come across some beautiful little tiny botanic gardens. And and then just today I edited an article. There's going to be some 
fabulous news coming out about the Australian National Botanic Gardens, but you heard it here first. I won't say what it was. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's pretty impressive that you can go to a little town sometimes and they've got a botanic garden. It might only take you 10 minutes to walk through, but it's there and it's a nice place for people to go and relax or have a picnic. And I mean, the work that people are doing in botanic gardens is fabulous anyway, but, you know, it's it's all good. It's all positive and good for your mental health. We all need We all need mental health days. And to me, getting out and playing in the gardens, that's my... Um, my unwind time. Well, I got into gardening because I was sick of sales and I wanted something that I could actually just, it was just started as a short-term thing because I was like, okay, what can I enjoy doing for a little while? Okay, gardening. Here I yeah. am nine years later. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was pretty much the same because I I had three children in four years and I, I thought, oh, when I get back into the workforce, I, I want to do something that I love because I'd sort of worked in tourism and, you know, I'd travelled a, I'd travelled a lot and everything off my own bat, but I I just wanted to do something that I thought would be a nice kind of healthy, enjoyable, creative thing to do and that's how I got into it and, you know, it's just been really lovely, a really nice area to work in. So, and, you know, even if you might be working physically hard, some people, it's, you're still out there in the fresh air and, you know, the magpies come down and have a chat or a crows or whatever and, yeah, you're out in a nice environment. So it's good. Smell the roses, as they say. Exactly. I think we've sort of touched a little bit. We were going to briefly talk about indoor plants and balcony yeah, gardens balcony becoming gardens. popular in the city. And, you know, I did mention that, you know, the indoor plant sales have really gone through the roof and – the younger people are definitely into it. Like there's Instagram influences of plants. There's plant daddies, plant mummies, mm-hmm. plant everything on Instagram. And and I've got to tell you, some of the things they put up are fabulous, you know, beautiful images that can only make you, you know, love plants even more because of the way they're presented. So it's great. And, you know, I was saying that I doing some work in schools. The last school that I went to, of the group live in apartments. They've never lived in a house with a property. And it just made me think, I wonder how many kids are in that boat because it was in a city. And, you know, I have lived in an apartment in my younger years, but I have to say it was not my cup of tea, but I understand it is for others. And I think I can remember even back then I had indoor plants. I had to have, and I was only really young, you know, but and and people are growing all these dwarf things and herbs and things on their gardens and on their balconies and stuff, so it's fabulous. In fact, even it might have been the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show maybe five years ago, they had a section on, you know, because they have the big landscape designers there, and they had a section on balcony gardens. So there was all these areas that were set up like an apartment balcony and how they'd created them and, you know, built seeding areas into it and how they decorated them so um, certainly people you know that people are catering to that sort of situation that living style that's the boat i'm in i I live in an apartment i've got two small courtyards it's a new apartment that i've recently moved into not a new apartment but my wife and i moved in a couple of months ago now but yeah we're in that situation of we've got uh two lime trees and a lemon tree at the back and i also have a little mint bush so before you were talking about the the cocktail backyard 
or the cocktail courtyard. Well, yeah. that's me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you've got to get your priorities yeah. right, don't you? <laughs> well, I've got, yeah, but, you know, it's just salad greens, herbs, stuff like that, just little grow bags. Fabulous. It's awesome. Yeah. And look, to be able to just, you know, you're cooking something and you think, oh, just, oh, God, if only I had some chives or some mint or, you know, and you can just walk out and get it and it's right there and you can grow them in pots. And, of course, you can do the vertical gardens now. Like a friend of mine, you know, just downsized recently, went from a house into an apartment. She's got the most magnificent green wall. And, you know, so there's lots of ways you can get around that without having to mow the lawn. No lawn to mow where I am. Yeah, exactly. And no it's, lawn to mow. <laughs> And the herbs is a great place to start because what do you pay like $3 for a bunch of herbs that might last you a couple of days or even yeah, more sometimes, yeah. you know? Whereas if you, because yeah. growing your own fruit and veg paradoxically can be more expensive than purchasing fruit and veg. So yeah, be careful about thinking you're going to save money by growing your own fruit and veg. Yeah. Oh, to me, it's more about what you're putting in your mouth, you know, like yeah. you know what it's been treated with. I'm not saying I never buy fruit and vegetables. I do because I, I don't really have a lot of space left in my garden, but I've just been in a conversation with some ladies that I work with. I said, who wants to do a yard share? And so we're going to do a, a community garden at one person's house because she's got a big backyard. And they're yeah. all excited about it because we'll all share in the spoils. Of course, I'll have to do the garden classes to begin with. But, <laughs> but you know, what a great idea. This lady lives on her own and, you know, it'll be nice for her because people will drop in to, you know, spend an hour in the in the veggie garden. And, yeah, so... Yard share is a is another option for people that or community gardens if you're in an apartment and you've got time. Of course, you know when you're young, you're working longer hours and everything. So um, yeah, there's some ways around it that you can still have that opportunity if you want it. Absolutely, and it can be as informal as you like. It can be a couple of buddies and you just doing it. You can it can be yeah. a share house apartment and you can share the little veggie yeah. patch at the back for sure. Sing- Singapore is classic for that. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's, Singapore's the uh, city in a garden. Believable. You've got to put it on your bucket list because yes. it's one place if you're into horticulture, and it's not a very big place, so it's easy to get around. But I went to a few community gardens there. One time I went for a conference and same thing, you know, lots of high-rise because it's not a very big place, so there's all high-rise, but their gardens are out of this world and they grow everything. So, you know, there's also that connection with a community garden, you know, that once, like I said, with the uh, other place that I went to, it was the connection to other humans because quite often people live on their own and especially elderly people, you know, they don't get many visitors and not everyone's in that boat, of course, but there's a lot of lonely people out there that that community garden could be the answer to their prayers absolutely and also i just wanted to touch on at singapore there the shopping center i just can't mention singapore without talking about that shopping center there next to the airport oh my goodness oh jewel that's the one jewel. Oh, i know with the big the water floor the water in the center the, that the goes forest for... <laughs> oh you know when i saw that it had only opened four days before and it looked like it had been there for 20 years and I, I think it was May or June, something like that, where, and I'd been there the September before and it wasn't built. The same with the gardens by the bay. Yep. The first time I went there I saw the plans for the gardens by the bay and I went back 18 months later and it was built. That's crazy, isn't like, it? We tried to get the light rail here in Sydney and it took <laughs> years and it's still not complete. <laughs> That's so, funny. Yeah, a bit different. 
But anyway, that's how it is. But yeah, if if you're a hort- if you're into plants, you must go to Singapore. Oh my god! And that Jewel Airport, Changi Airport, they want that to be a destination because Singapore's a bit of a stopover yeah. place, you know. And it is. As long as you don't have too much yeah. backpacks and stuff like that, you got to lug around. You can easily, if you just have like a short stop over there, eighteen hour stopover or whatever, um, you can st- you yeah. can buy a room by the hour, which my wife and I did because we yeah. had the time zone difference and all that, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, no, it's excellent. I highly recommend Singapore. I love it. In fact, we were supposed to go last year. Myself and Michael Casey were organising a study trip to Singapore interior plantscapers and also for the Australian Institute of Horticulture but of course COVID hit but we'll get there and when we go it's uh we're going to be seeing uh meeting up with the designers of Jewel and we'll be going to all the behind the scenes stuff so it'll be fabulous last year we we booked out in about 24 hours but you know some some whether people will still go I mean most people have left their deposits there but anyway might have to do a second one yeah yeah well, I'll be going if if I can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool place. So, Karen, a lot of things are changing in the industry. Some things haven't changed. There are plenty of cowboys and cowgirls out there, maintenance gardeners, uh, and they ring barking trees, yeah. they're shooting stones into traffic. What What are we going to do about regulating this industry? Like, is it a good thing to regulate it? Should we just get out there on a grassroots campaign and try and get this information out there to people? How do we... Or is it just something that we just have to learn to live with, cowboys and cowgirls out there on their petrol machines, throwing stones around, butchering plants? Yeah, and, and sadly they come in come into the industry and go out in the, in the short term because yeah. they undercut and it's not sustainable. I mean, you know how much you've got to have your, your insurances and, and everything in place and, you know, your equipment, all that kind of stuff that you – can't physically go out there for a few dollars you know what I mean you've got to charge a realistic fee and uh, I think one of the things that I used to do on my invoice on my invoices or my quoting thing I'd have a little paragraph at the bottom that says I am a qualified horticulturist I'm a member of the Australian Institute of Horticulture and other associations that I belong to and so that they would they would then see that I am you know a legitimate person and and I mean, I know what you were saying before about people being qualified or not qualified. Good people usually don't have to advertise, especially with garden maintenance. If you're good at what you do, you don't really need to advertise because you get quickly get work through word of mouth. So how do we stop these people from coming in? I really am not sure what the answer is to that. And I think the other unfortunate situation is that there's not enough good people out there doing it. There's a shortage of people doing maintenance. You know, I was speaking to someone the other day from Canberra and she said, you know, most people that live in Canberra work for the government. You know, they're on a reasonable income, but they but they can't always have the time to work on their garden and they're happy to pay, but you cannot get people. So... You know, I think you just, you charge your realistic price. I don't know how we get rid of the deadwood. I I don't know how we would go about regulating it. I'm probably not the person that can answer that question. But It's a tough question because there's different qualifications too. Is Are we talking about a horticultural qualification? Are we talking about parks and yeah. gardens? 
So, Karen, this episode has been really helpful. I think that a lot of people would do well to understand how the industry is changing because we all need to keep up with it. We don't want to get left behind. There are certain things that are coming in, and it's really good to know about that. But, Karen, I want to ask you that final question. It's very open-ended. You can talk about anything you'd like. Is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know about? Um, Well, I'm a great believer in having one or two charities that I stick with. For me, it's Alzheimer's Australia and MS because I personally have, you know, been affected by people with that. And uh, so I'm a great believer in being a giving person. So if you give, you generally receive. So always give, be generous with your time and and your money, you know. like It doesn't have to be a huge amount, but just... uh, always think of people who are worse off than yourselves. Whether you like to read it in the Smoko room, on the train, or when you're on the dunny, I hope you subscribe to the Hort Journal by now. If not, you're really missing out on some of the best written horticultural industry content Australia has to offer. Make it a New Year's resolution to subscribe to the magazine by following the corresponding link in the show notes. Make sure you also follow the Plants Grow Here podcast in your favourite listening app to stay up to date with our weekly episodes that are targeted for green industry professionals while also being approachable to home gardeners. <laughs>